Listen to this portion of the story of God as it is written in the book that declares our identity from the 19th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. And all who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. The story of God told for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Okay, most of us know this story. And at least if we don't know the actual story, we know the song, right? Let's try. Zacchaeus was a... a we... He climbed up in a... For the Lord, he wanted to. See. You guys are awesome. Nine thirty, just it turned. It, they started strong with he's a wee little man, and it just turned into like a low mumble after that. So you guys did great. Um, yeah, in fact, that song and all the school Sunday school lessons and VBL, VBS lessons that this story has inspired have made it so well known that I wasn't quite sure what to do with this scripture this morning. I wasn't quite sure what wisdom or truth we could find that we don't already know from singing that song or hearing the story over and over. So I went digging. I, I researched trying to look for new information. I tried to drill down and find a new way to grasp this story. Given how famous Zacchaeus is, how much we all know about this story, we might think that the Bible has a lot to say about Zacchaeus. The truth is, it doesn't. This is a short story, only 10 verses in the entire Bible. The story of Zacchaeus doesn't appear in any of the other Gospels, just Luke. So if we, we got to look really closely at these 10 verses. And if we do that, I think there's only three ways into this story. We can read ourselves into this story through the way of Zacchaeus, the way of Jesus, or the way of the crowd. That's it. There aren't any other characters, just Zacchaeus, Jesus, and the crowd. So let's start with the crowd. We may not even think of the crowd as a character in the story, but it is. The crowd plays a strong but subtle role, so subtle that we might miss it if we're not careful. Besides gathering around Jesus and following him in such a way as to obstruct Zacchaeus' view of Jesus, the crowd does two things. First, they grumble. And second, they determine that Zacchaeus is a sinner, unworthy of attention. Now, before we begin to boo the crowd as the villain, the truth is that the crowd wasn't really too far off base. They had a good reason to hate Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector, and tax collectors were not well-liked. In this time and place, tax collectors were essentially extortionists. 
They were Jews who purchased the right to tax a certain region from the Roman Empire. Essentially, Rome would charge tax collectors like Zacchaeus for a license to collect money from its subjects. And then tax collectors would in turn get the right to line their own pockets with as much money as they could collect by taxing their own people. Tax collectors were rightly viewed as traitors who had aligned with Rome and turned their back on their own tribe. Now, Zacchaeus wasn't just one of these tax-collecting scumbags. He was the head tax-collecting scumbag. The crowd was right to grumble about what Zacchaeus had become and how he operated in their world. To observant Jews, it also didn't help Zacchaeus' case that he was perpetually unclean. Because of all his ceremonially unclean places that he went and all the dirty people with which he came into contact in the course of collecting his money, Zacchaeus was most certainly never fit for worship or Jewish observance. He was always ritually and ceremonially unclean. All of this, his betrayal and his uncleanliness, rightly made Zacchaeus a sinner in the eyes of the crowd. Sinner. That's a, that's a weird word for us. Did you know that Luke uses the word sinner more than any other gospel? The Greek word that Luke uses is actually hamartalos. Everybody say hamartalos. Hamartalos, it means sinner. It gets translated as sinner. And Luke uses it 17 times in his gospel. And according to Luke and the 17 uses of hamartalos, a sinner is anyone who is shunned by the Pharisees and scribes. Luke doesn't use this word to describe a moral failure. He uses it to label people that the religious establishment has shunned as unworthy. It's a community label, and the religious community had determined that tax collectors were unworthy. They were homartalos. They were sinners. Now, one more thing about the crowd. They didn't just shun Zacchaeus because he was an extortionist. They also shunned him because of how he looked and how he acted when Jesus showed up. Zacchaeus was a man of means, a rich and powerful man. Rich and powerful men are not supposed to run in public, and they're certainly not supposed to climb trees. To do so would be undignified, acting like a child. And it's also not a throwaway throwaway line that Luke tells us that Zacchaeus was short. This is an important detail. Zacchaeus was noticeably physically different. To be clear... There weren't a lot of tall Jews running around first century Israel. It's not like Jesus and everyone around him was six feet tall and Zacchaeus was five nine. Zacchaeus was really short, most likely a little person. Short enough to be singled out as short by a crowd of folks who weren't that tall to begin with. So we put it all together. Zacchaeus looked different. He acted in undignified ways. He was ceremonially unclean and he was a traitor to his people. And so the crowd grumbles. Zacchaeus is shunned. He looked wrong. He acted wrong. He related wrong. He was a sinner. Now here's the, th- the scary thing about entering this story through the crowd. I think I get them. I understand where the crowd is coming from more than I would like to admit. I'm not, I may not go around outwardly labeling people as sinners, but I can certainly shun with the best of them. I frequently come up with justifiable reasons why I think someone doesn't measure up or doesn't qualify or doesn't deserve access. I do it all the time. 
Sometimes I even convince myself I'm doing it in the name of Jesus, that I'm doing it to protect God. I determine who is relating wrong, who is acting wrong, who is believing wrong, or who looks wrong, and I justify my social or spiritual contempt and distance. I don't really like thinking about the crowd in this story too much because I see myself in it way too much. So I'd rather think about this story through Jesus. Now that may seem obvious because Jesus is our rabbi and we're supposed to follow and be like our rabbi. So we need to see how Jesus shows up in this story. Does he offer us a path to follow here? I think he does. I see at least three things that Jesus does in responding to Zacchaeus. Three things that we are invited to emulate. Perhaps you'll see more. The first thing I notice is that Jesus sees Zacchaeus. We have to remember that Zacchaeus was the invisible man, not just because of his stature, but because he was shunned as a sinner. But because he did not, nobody wanted to lock eyes with the tax man. If you saw Zacchaeus coming, you went the other way. Nobody wanted to see this guy. His behavior, his beliefs, his practices, his looks, none of them had earned Zacchaeus the right to be seen. According to the scribes and Pharisees, he deserved to be shunned. He deserved to be set aside, overlooked, dismissed as unholy and unsafe. But Jesus sees him. I have to wrestle with that. It makes me wonder who don't I see? Who do I overlook and dismiss as unholy and unsafe? Who do I follow the establishment in shunning? Second thing Jesus does is he dines with Zacchaeus. He doesn't just stop at seeing Zacchaeus. He undoes the shun. Jesus validates Zacchaeus as worthy of investment and investigation. He says to Zacchaeus, I want to know you. Take me to your house and let's have a meal together. You're worthy of my time. You're worthy of my interest. You are worth getting to know. In his book, From Tablet to Table, Leonard Sweet wrote that the entirety of the Gospels can be summed up with this statement. Jesus ate good food with bad people. He argues that this is why Jesus is accused of being a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners in the scripture. He spent time with the people who didn't act the right way. He ate with the people who didn't believe the right things. Now, am I really supposed to do that too? I'm a little terrified at what that might look like in my life. I mean, I'm still trying to come to grips with the first thing of seeing the invisible people, and now I'm also supposed to go break bread with them. What would the crowd think? What would I risk in dining with those that deserve to be shunned? People might think I deserve to be shunned too. And I don't want to be shunned. I don't want to hear the crowd grumble at me. But of course, Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes one step further. He doesn't just see Zacchaeus and dine with him. Jesus declares identity over Zacchaeus. Jesus tells Zacchaeus and everyone listening that Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham. Jesus declares that all of Zacchaeus' wrong thinking, wrong relating, wrong behavior, and even his wrong appearance have not placed him outside of the family. He is a son of Abraham. He is not shunned. He is not hamartalos. 
He belongs. Now, this part seems fun to me. I think I could do the declaring. I like the idea of telling people that everyone matters, that God loves everybody, and that we are all sons and daughters of Abraham. I, I can get into that. In fact, I'm pretty sure I can also train myself to see the invisible people so that I can declare things over them, tell them that they're in the family. I just stumble on that second step. Spending time with the invisible, breaking bread with the shunned, investing my time and energy in those that I would rather grumble about. I'd prefer to skip that second step. I'd rather just see them and declare at them that they are loved from where I am, you know, kind of keep a safe distance. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't keep a safe distance. Jesus reminds me that declarations made from a safe distance are meaningless, no matter how good they are. Blessing, blessings and statements of divine identity made from afar are not helpful. They're vapor. They're church gossip. They're words from an internet troll. They don't mean anything. Jesus reminds me that no one will care what I know until they know that I care. First he sees then he dines, and then he declares. Now, after the crowd and Jesus, the only other way into this story is through the man who inspired the song in the first place, Zacchaeus. Now, I know I'm not an extortionist, nor am I short, but compared to the crowd and Jesus, there's something more comfortable about Zacchaeus for me. This is the way into the story I understand. I get Zacchaeus. I have my tax-collecting ways. I have done things that deserve the grumbling and the shunning of the crowd. There have certainly been times when I could have been accurately labeled as homartalos, as unsafe, unholy, and outside the religious establishment. I know what it's like to be up a tree. But Zacchaeus wasn't just invisible and unworthy because of his behavior. He was also invisible and unworthy because of how he looked. Because he was short. And that makes me wonder, did Zacchaeus' behavior as an extortionist have anything to do with how he was treated as a little person? I'm reminded that it's not always our bad behavior that makes us invisible and up a tree. Sometimes our invisibility is not our doing. Sometimes the crowd grumbles and shuns us for the very things we cannot change. Zacchaeus was not responsible for his size. There was certainly nothing that he could do to change it. He couldn't wish himself taller, but his size, in part, had him up that tree the day Jesus came to town. But maybe I'm overthinking this. I mean, it couldn't have been that bad, right? It's not Zacchaeus. It's not. If, it's not like Zacchaeus was treated so badly as a little person that he became a tax collector, is it? Could he have really been so ostracized for his body? that he leaned into extorting his own people. So he was short, big deal. It's not like he was a leper or seriously disabled. How hard could it have been for Zacchaeus? He was rich and powerful after all. I mean, for crying out loud, Luke's writings, his gospel in the book of Acts, are all about those who really suffered. Luke goes into great detail about how Jesus brought healing and love and acceptance to those who were really marginalized, those whose circumstances were really beyond their control, those who were really shunned. 
In Luke 4, 38 through 39, Jesus heals Simon's mother from her very real sickness that had made her lame. She, by the way, then gets up and serves Jesus and the disciples a meal. In Luke 5, verses 12 through 14, and again in 17, verses 11 through 19, Jesus heals people of their very real leprosy and tells them to go and show themselves to the priests to make an offering. In Luke 5, 17 through 26, Jesus heals a paralyzed man who is lowered by his friends through a hole in the roof of the home where Jesus was teaching. In Luke 6, verses 6 through 11, Jesus restores a man with a very real crippled hand. In Luke 13, verses 10 through 17, Jesus heals a woman who had been bent over, hunchbacked for 13 years and unable to stand up straight. In Luke 14, verses 1 through 4, Jesus heals a man with very real dropsy, which just means swollen joints and deformed feet. In Acts 8, Verses 26 through 40, Philip is sent to Gaza to proclaim the good news of Jesus to an Ethiopian eunuch who is then baptized. And in Luke 18, verses 35 through 43, right before Jesus runs into Zacchaeus in Jericho, he restores the sight of a blind man begging for mercy on the side of a road. These were people with real problems. These were people who were really marginalized and shunned, and Jesus saw them all. He spent time with them. He declared their divine identity over them. He reminded them that they were not hamartalos. He told them they belonged. This is quite a list. Where did Jesus get the idea that these specific people were invisible? That these specific invisible people needed to be restored? Listen to this portion of the story of God as it is written in the book that declares our identity from Leviticus 22. God spoke to Moses, tell Aaron, none of your descendants in any generation to come who has a defect of any kind may present as an offering the food of his God. That means anyone who is blind or lame, disfigured or deformed, crippled in foot or hand, hunchbacked, or who has anything wrong with his eyes, who has leprosy, or is a eunuch. No descendant of Aaron the priest who has any defect is to offer gifts to God. He has a defect, and so must not offer the food of his God. Because of his defect, he must not go near the curtain or approach the altar. It would desecrate my sanctuary. This list is not a coincidence. The scribes and Pharisees didn't just randomly decide who was Hamartalos. They grumbled about and shunned these people for a reason. These people were considered invisible and unsafe because of the very real words of the Torah. Their religion, their tradition, their scripture told them that these people were different. These people were unworthy. But then Jesus comes, and one by one he sees these people. He draws near to them. He shows them they are worthy of his time. He dines with them. He declares divine identity over them, and they are healed, and they are freed. 
And you may notice a gap in the Leviticus scripture right there after those who are crippled in hand or hunched back. And you can probably guess what goes in that gap. Zacchaeus. Even before Zacchaeus was a tax collector, before he had betrayed and extorted his people, he was shunned. He was homartalos. He was invisible. He was listed as unworthy among the disfigured, the deformed, and the lame. Zacchaeus was disqualified by the Torah for making an offering of food to God. Until Jesus shows up in his hometown, sees him, and says, Come down out of that tree, take me to your home, and offer me some food. I have to say it again, this is not a coincidence. Jesus takes this list down one by one and declares over every single one of them, You're not invisible. You're not shunned. You are daughters and sons of Abraham. It doesn't seem to matter to Jesus why Zacchaeus is up in that tree. Whether Zacchaeus was in that tree because of his doing or because of his circumstances that were beyond his control, Jesus still sees him and says, come down and dine with me. You are worthy of relationship because you're family. And though we all know that Zacchaeus did come down and dine with Jesus, his relationship with Jesus didn't end there. Church history actually records that following his encounter with Jesus, Zacchaeus continued to mature in his faith and service and was ultimately elevated to the role of Bishop of Caesarea. The little man whom Leviticus declared could not approach the altar because he would desecrate the sanctuary. The former tax collector who lined his pockets with the extorted money of his own people became a great spiritual leader. One who not only dined with Jesus one day in Jericho, but brought others to the table of the Lord for the rest of his life. What does the crowd have to say about that? What does Leviticus have to say about that? Now, I've been in the crowd and I regret it. I don't want to be there anymore. I don't want to grumble and shun those who I don't think are worthy even if I think the scripture tells me to do it. I want to be like and follow Jesus. I want to see the invisible, to find ways to dine with them and love on them and remind them who they really are. But I am Zacchaeus. I have climbed trees in my misbehavior, and I have been treed by crowds for things beyond my control. And I know now that just like Zacchaeus, Jesus doesn't care what got me up there. He's more interested in getting me down from my tree and into relationship. Jesus cared so much about that very progression that when he left Zacchaeus in Jericho, he let the grumbling and shunning crowd nail him to a tree and kill him. But that tree couldn't hold him. And he still declares to tree dwellers everywhere, you are not invisible. Your brother Jesus declares over you that no matter how others may feel about you, and no matter how you may feel about yourself, you are beloved. 
You are accepted. You are worthy to dine with the king. You are qualified to usher in the kingdom of God. You are daughters and sons, members of God's royal family. He invites us all to come down. It's not who we are. It's just a tree. Let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, sovereign of the universe. We thank you and bless you for Zacchaeus, that through him we actually get to stand on the shoulders of a giant and be reminded of the love, the relationship, and divine identity we all have in you. We bless you for our rabbi, our brother, and our savior, Yeshua, who calls us out of our trees and into lives of seeing, loving, and declaration. By the power of your dwelling spirit, we ask for the strength and courage not only to come down from our trees, but to see others who are stuck in their own, to call out to them and invite them into our lives where we can show them and love them into who you have really called them to be. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.